0: Welcome to the Radical Remission Project, Stories That Heal podcast. My name is Kelly A. Turner, and I'm a PhD cancer researcher, New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope, and the founder of the Radical Remission Project. In this podcast, it is our honor to bring you inspiring healing stories directly from Radical Remission survivors themselves, as well as from the amazing doctors and healers they work with.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Stories That Heal podcast. This is Carla, and today, Liz and I are excited to welcome our radical remission survivor, Deborah Nozick. Deborah is a firm believer in the concept, believe the diagnosis, not the prognosis. She was diagnosed in 1992 with stage one breast cancer at the age of 38. After seven years with no sign of cancer, Deborah developed an unrelenting cough, which turned out to be inoperable stage four breast cancer of the right lung. That was in 1999. Rather than focusing on grim prognosis statistics, she began discovering there were patients who were exceptional and beat the odds. This led her on her own journey towards healing and health. In 2014, Deborah read Dr. Kelly Turner's book, Radical Remission and realized her intuition had led her to the same healing factors Dr. Turner found in her research. Deborah later became a radical remission teacher and coach and is also continuing her work as a licensed clinical social worker. Welcome Deborah. we
2: are so excited to have you with us. This is such an honor. I am so, so glad to be with you. And as a cancer survivor thriver, when I say glad to be with you, the word glad has a whole different meaning than when somebody just says glad to be with you. Mm-hmm. I am, to, you know, the depth of my heart, glad to be with you. Yeah, I get that. Thank you. Totally.
1: Yay. <laughs> Yay. So, Deborah, tell us just a little bit about the day you received that stage four diagnosis. What
2: did oh, wow. you, and what was your first step after that on the healing journey? Okay. I was very naive. At the time, I didn't even realize what a stage four diagnosis really meant, um, and I, after I started finding out more, I would say the first thing was shock, because I'd had seven really healthy years, and I was even given an excellent prognosis from the nineteen ninety two diagnosis, and I did you know the the typical chemo. Uh, radiation, and, and lumpectomy for that. So shock was the very first emotion that I, I felt. Fortunately, <laughs> I don't know if it's a blessing or, or a curse, the Internet, but fortunately in 1999, there was no Internet. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't researching and finding out what how dismal my my prognosis was. I just knew from talking to doctors, getting a second opinion, that it was a very, very serious, uh, no cure potentially life-threatening situation that I was in. So shock was my first. Absolutely. And that um, blessing of no internet at the time
1: really is kind of a blessing. And nowadays we can find out so much information and some
2: of it's scary, not necessarily good for us. And then I did decide, I made a decision that I was going to focus on finding people and situations where people were doing well with this diagnosis. That's great. yeah, and, and that was an intuitive decision I made. So rather than, again, as it's saying, focus on the, you know, on the, not, not on the prognosis. Right. Um, but, and, and so I did, I found people who were doing well. And how'd you find them since there was no internet? Well, fortunately here in my own town, here in the Albany area, Albany, New York area, we ha- had and have a wonderful support network for education and support for people with breast cancer. And they gave me a mentor. Um, And this was somebody living with metastatic breast cancer who was doing very well. And so she helped to guide me and being in the part of the organization really helped to navigate and guide me. Um, And then I started doing my own research myself and finding books like Spontaneous Healing by Dr. Andrew Weil, um, Love Medicine and Miracles by Dr. Bernie Siegel. So I started gravitating and, and almost like a sponge or magnet you know, for that kind of stuff. And that's why I decided I was gonna put my focus.
1: That's such a great way to go about it, right? To bring in all the good positive stories, yeah. Yeah. To know it's
2: possible, Mm -hmm. to really know it's possible.
3: Yes, absolutely. So what do you feel were the most impactful radical remission healing factors once you saw the list and you realized that your story had kind of unfolded following those same healing factors? Um, Now that we know what they are, how do you um, decide which ones were the most impactful when you first were getting started? I think, well, for first of all, um, you know, having
2: strong reasons for living. I was a young mom. My son was in elementary school. Um, I was in the hospital, actually. Soon after the diagnosis, they had to remove a tremendous amount of fluid from my lung. Um, And I was just in the hospital for a week and I was I was going to get hell or high water. I was going to get out of the hospital to be there to hear my son sing if I only had a brain when he was starring in his second grade class, Wizard of Oz.
3: (laughs) I love that you remember so specifically what you were going to do. Even now, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, I just had to be there for that. And I did it. I got out. just. I think I got out. I I think they took me out of the hospital, took me right over to the school. And there I was to see him seeing if I only had a brain.
3: That's so cute. I love it.
2: <laughs> so having, and obviously the, the little short story I was telling you, I, I had very strong reasons for living. I had so many loved ones in my life, including my son that I wanted to see grow up, who is now 33 going 34 years old. Wow. <laughs> um, and just so many people I loved in my life that I wanted to be here for. Um, and I was really enjoying my life and my work very much. And I, I wasn't ready to say goodbye to any of that. So we have, you know, again, having our strong reasons for living was one of them. Um, another one was, I was a therapist, or I was and am a therapist, and I knew that the diagnosis was uh, a trauma for me. And so I searched and found my own therapist and got into a lot of different therapy so that I could deal, I figured if I can do something to minimize the trauma then I would be able to um, energetically deal with getting better, but the trauma was gonna keep me stuck.
3: So yeah, that's great that you took the time. I know a lot of people, sometimes if you work in the profession, you overlook doing that for yourself, that modality. A lot of times that says, you know they say doctors are the worst patients, that kind of thing. Um, But I'm really glad that you found your way to the right practitioner for you in that time.
2: And it made a huge
3: difference. Once I could turn the trauma
2: into just a situation I was dealing with, a very challenging situation, crisis. By the way, there's a great thing I I love to tell everybody. Do you guys know the Chinese form for the word crisis? No, do tell. Okay, Okay, it has two different meanings simultaneously. Crisis can mean opportunity or danger. Hmm. And I made the decision to turn it into an opportunity rather than a danger. It, I make, I'm, I'm making it sound simple and easy. It was not simple and easy, but <laughs> I made I, I made that decision that I was going to turn this into an opportunity for myself and and not just go down with the ship with the diagnosis.
3: Thank um, you for sharing that. I I think that uh, just for the fact the sake of the audience, I want to point out that we've been sharing these great stories, and you know, you're you're right there with them. Um, and it's easy to look back and have a very, you know, tell it as it's a story. But a lot of times, the the seriousness and the the fear and the the deeper emotions that go on when you don't know that you're going to heal, um, they can be very vivid. And I just want to, you know, point out, you know, thank you for for sharing that it isn't um, something to take lightly, um, and that you know we don't take it lightly here. But we definitely want to acknowledge that that you know, in those moments back, you know, whenever anybody's getting that kind of information, they don't know that they're going to heal. So that uncertainty is really, really um, loud. And uh, can you speak to that at all? Well, again, scared to death, literally scared to
2: death, that I I remember looking at inanimate objects thinking, well, that thing's still going to be here (laughs) in so many years, I might not be here. And you know, and there were just so many things I wanted to be here for and thinking I was actually jealous of elderly people mm. then, mm-hmm. um, because they had lived such long lives and thinking, oh, my God, what if I can't live that long life? But again, I shifted back to there are people that are living and living well, even with cancer, and there are people who have been able to reverse cancer, and maybe, maybe, maybe I could be one of those people.
3: Yeah. So having that hope was really, um, I mean, pairing them with all of these modalities or increasing positive emotions, releasing suppressed emotions, having purpose and strong reasons. You know, those are all the things that sounded like they were guiding you toward that optimism or that still holding on to hope. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I love when uh, Kelly Turner had her second book, Radical Hope. I was so thrilled that that was the title for the second Mm -hmm. book.
3: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: it's a great name for the for the book. It, there really is so much hope when you you read it and you hear the stories and you can be inspired. Deborah, I want to go back. You mentioned this Chinese symbol. It was Chinese symbol that was opportunity or danger? Mhm. Yeah. So you took it as an opportunity. So tell us a little bit more about how you got to that, how you got to that realization that this could be an opportunity and what did you learn from your diagnosis or about yourself? in that opportunity?
2: Well, as, as I said before, I went for my own therapy and I know it might be too much information, but one of the first things my therapist asked me is, are you angry about anything? One of the first questions, and I, as you can tell by my personality, I'm just like this happy-go-lucky kind of person outwardly, but deep down, I must've been really angry about some things. Um, so I really worked on that stuff and how to, Really feel what I'm feeling. And again, being a breast cancer survivor, I don't want to generalize, but, you know, <laughs> being the people pleaser and always wanting to take care of everybody else at my own personal expense. So I I, I turned this into an opportunity to really learn about myself so that I can make these adjustments like you know, like that one, you know, like mm-hmm. it's important that I really register and align within myself what I really do, what I want to do, and what I don't want to do. And the things I really don't want to do, but I'm only doing it to please other people. To, as hard as it is to do this, to be able to learn how to say no every once in a while.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so there was a lot of learning opportunity and to, to shift different things about my own self in order to get well and stay well and, and deal with the inner anger stuff that, that that I needed to release and transform to something else. And does it
1: yeah. answer Absolutely. your question? Absolutely. Yeah. And and tell me more about how you actually then released it. So you did talk therapy with which helped you identify
2: it. Did well, that I did, also I, I did more than talk therapy. Okay, good. Um, I want to hear it. Yeah, I'm I'm very into um well first of all the therapists that I worked with did a a therapy called EMDR, mm. which is really really helpful for for releasing trauma, and then not just, and then actually even before my diagnosis in '99, I had already as a therapist started getting trained in using all different kinds of energy psychology approaches. Um, people who are familiar with that might have heard of tapping, things like that. So th- the thing I love about combining the energy psychology with regular talk therapy is that it actually helps release it from the body too. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to just talk about something. It's another thing to release it and transform it. And so a lot of these energy psychology approaches that I've been learning, you know, as a professional, I was able to use, it was very helpful to use for myself, by myself. Um, And so that's something I incorporated many years ago that I still use Like I did a bit of tapping just before we got on.
1: Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. We do talk about tapping in the radical remission workshop. We share those kinds of resources with people. Tapping can be really helpful for releasing EMDR is usually mentioned. So yeah, I love that. Was there anything else that you did um, as you learned and, and incorporated these things into your life? Was there
2: anything else that was impactful for you? Oh, I just, as I said a little while ago, anything that had to do with healing and wellness, um, I just gravitated right to that. So I've done, you know, yoga, qigong, breath work, uh, sound healing, hypnosis. Uh, one of my another memory of which is really special for me is um, I would go for my treatments because I'm into integrative medicine, both um, conventional medicine and all other kinds of things. And so I would go for my conventional chemo and then a very dear friend of mine who had gotten licensed in foot reflexology, she studied up on how to to maximize my treatment with foot reflexology. So I go for my treatment, then she'd have me come over and she would do like an hour and a half of foot reflexology with me. She did that every week for me for six months. Wow! When I first when I first started doing treatment, um, and I mean, I'll, I'll always, you know, every time I we're still friends today. But what a gift!
1: Yes, that's a beautiful that gift. That
2: time yeah. and that yeah. That's... Yeah, and it, it made the treatment so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's another energy work which is foot, foot reflexology that helped me get through.
3: Great. So, Deborah, you had mentioned being a people pleaser, which is very common. Um we we often hear that um, as part of the type C personality, right? That that cancer personality, if you if you don't, you know, a lot of people may not like to be quantified that way, but that is characteristically something people look at. Um so I'm curious how you handled that empowerment factor. It sounds like you were very empowered to be the CEO of your health and really grow all these different modalities and wonderful um, different treatments, but how did you handle your um, conventional team? And did you feel comfortable advocating for yourself throughout the journey? Okay, Um, well, I was very fortunate because I had and
2: still have, um, I I call them the A-team. You know, <laughs> doctors and nurses and all different kinds of practitioners who really had my best interest. And the particular doctor that I had way back when I was first diagnosed in 99 is a different doctor. She's now retired. Um, and she really listened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, I told you I had a mentor from mm-hmm. this organization I belong to. Well, she was getting um, a different chemotherapy drug than the, than the usual protocols were, and she was getting low dose of that. So that wasn't your typical every day, but mm-hmm. she was living a very, very, very full life, even getting treatment. And I decided, hey, I think I want to look into that too. So I mentioned it to my doctor and she researched it and she was willing to do the low dose of the, of the major chemo I was getting at the time. Amazing. Um, so I was leading a fairly normal life, uh, even though I was getting, you know, getting the heavy duty treatment. Um, there was, there was nothing probably that a typical mother of an eight-year-old, nine-year-old would do that I wasn't doing. And I was working at the same time. Wow. Um, yeah. So somehow I managed to, um, it was, thanks to my A-team, I was able to do you know, and, and she, you know, I tell her I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And she, she just like support me. Cause I did, a, I started, I started watching, there was no um, integrative medicine that was available except for books at that time here, here in my area, at least. So I, I was asking, you know, well, I'd really like to take milk thistle to keep my liver clean, which is, was recommended by Dr. Andrew Weil. And she said, okay, so <laughs> I did great. So yeah, so I would come up with ideas for myself. I'd bounce it off of her and she she was great with it.
3: That's fantastic. It sounds like a, a perfect match. You know, I really think that sometimes there should be like a matchmaking between cancer patients and oncologists to match up personality types because that sounds like a really beautiful gift. And I'm glad that the conversation was very open. And um, that you really had a voice in your own plan, which you clearly showed up with lots of of great modalities.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was one of those annoying patients, you know, how I, <laughs> <talk> with... <laughs> I had my, my, I would write a whole list of questions, concerns and comments that I wanted to make during my appointments. And um, she had to stay or whoever, whoever's dealing with me has to stay in the room till I'm done with my list
3: great.
1: Oh, that's funny. You know, but that's, that's a great way to be to, to be empowered and to make sure you get what you need out of it. So good Mm -hmm. for you. So I want to ask about, you know, doing all these things and an hour and a half every week of reflexology, plus your, uh, you know, medical appointments and having a nine year old, how'd you do it all? And did you continue to work? And how'd you make room in your life
2: to heal? Well, that's where Embracing Social Supports came in, mm-hmm. because I did, uh, and if you actually read the, the uh, Radical Hope book, that's the part where Kelly has me in the book, yes. uh, Embracing uh, Social Supports, because if it wasn't for all of my loved one's friends, um, I wouldn't have been able to, and my husband, um, w- who was a big loved one, um, mm-hmm. because he 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 just took care of everything so that I could put my focus on i worked but i didn't have to work um so i was able to put my focus on what did i need to do to take care of myself so all these all the support i got um in so many different ways from so many different people um really helped me get through to do what i needed to do for myself
1: that is so great and and was that both your initial diagnosis and then the,
2: the stage four diagnosis the initial diagnosis in 92 wasn't, on a relative basis, really wasn't a big deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. was, everything is relative, you know. That's um, so true. Although, although I did get a lot of help back then, too. My parents were both still alive at that time in 92, and they came racing here um, to take care of my son when I went for surgery. And, um, and then I, I wasn't getting big guns treatment, so I could drive myself back and forth you know, for my treatments and, um, you know, and, and lots of my neighbors were part of my support system too. What, so, what the most helpful thing that someone did for you? Oh, gosh. Now that I have, you got to ask a question I got to think about. <laughs> oh, I would say just my husband being a rock was probably one of the most important. He was just a rock. I don't know how he did it, but he was just a rock of support.
1: Hey, this is Carla. Are you ready to learn the 10 healing factors that have helped 1,500-plus survivors overcome the odds? Join Liz and I for a radical remission retreat at Omega Institute of Holistic Studies in Rhinebeck, New York, on May 24th through the 26th, 2024. You will experience three days of relaxation and beauty on the Omega campus. If you have any doubts, just know that researchers at Harvard have completed a pilot study to analyze the benefits of the Radical Remission workshop and the online course for cancer patients. Specifically, the research study looked at the impact that the workshops have on patients' quality of life and dietary habits. The results are currently being analyzed and are very promising. Check out radicalremission.com events to find the Omega Retreat and other virtual
3: and in-person workshops. We live in a world that values beauty and fashion. However, the moment a woman is diagnosed with cancer, the way she views these things change. In fact, the way she views everything in life changes. Simple pleasures become complicated, and pleasures as a whole often become harder to find due to the lack of resources tailored to meet the lifestyle needs of cancer survivors. That is, until Brighter Magazine, the colorful, relatable, and informative girlfriend's guide every survivor needs. With real-life stories of hope and helpful content addressing hair loss, mental health, fitness, and adaptive fashion, Brighter not only offers relevant content, but also vital community Created to equip, encourage, empower, and educate women from diagnosis through treatment and beyond, Brighter Magazine offers a brighter outlook for survivors. To subscribe, go to www.brightermagazine.org and be sure to follow them at Brighter Magazine on Instagram and Facebook for helpful resources. So you've mentioned um, you really did embrace the mental and emotional healing factors. I'd love to hear your take on the physical ones. Uh, Usually we kind of have people, the people start with that naturally, but I'd love to hear which direction you've taken your, you know, your movement and your diet change and Mm -hmm. things like that.
2: I've always been a big believer in movement and exercise. So it's always been a part of my life since ever. I can remember, I remember swimming in college and, um, you know, and then, you know, belonging to local wise and, and doing classes. And uh, I love Zumba, that's one of my favorite favorite things. Great. <laughs> and um, so w- when I was diagnosed in 99 with the, with the metastatic breast cancer and affected my right lung, I was, when I was symptomatic, and I was very symptomatic for about a year and a half, Um, I I had real shortness of breath, but I decided, come hell or high water, I was going to do yoga. My little community here had a uh, Monday night yoga class. I decided I was going to do yoga. That was one of the ways I knew I was getting better without any tests. Because I could breathe deeper and deeper and deeper without the sensation that I had to cough. But I remember when I first started doing the yoga... It was tough because it was it was a community based yoga class where it was just in a big gym, uh, middle school gym, and you could hear a pin drop. And I was always working on not coughing (laughs) so that I wouldn't make a lot of noise. Um, So as I got better and better and I could breathe deeper and deeper, I knew I knew I was getting better.
3: That's such a great way to validate on your own. Just you know, checking into your own personal well-being and seeing progress. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really cool. I love that you used yoga for that.
2: And then I love Zumba as like, you know years later because it's just pure fun and great, great exercise. And it's a form of dance too. So, yeah, I'm big on um, staying, staying physically active. So that I that was the thing I incorporated way back too, again, without realizing it, I just intuited it that I needed to, to do that, and, and, I, and I enjoyed it, too. So go ahead and tell us a little bit then about diet. Okay, so again, I intuited that I had to do a whole lot more than conventional medicine, so also back in 99, I decided I needed to change how I eat. And I, I, it's just so weird how all these people kind of came into my life out of nowhere. And this woman who was an oncological nurse got certified in, um, in more integrative medicine. So I started seeing her for consultations and she helped guide me, um, on different things I could do with my diet. So I did things like, I was there was a period of time when I knew I had active tumors, I was like religious about not eating refined sugar. And I figured, well, you know, there's no proof for sure that it's going to help, but it can't hurt not to eat refined sugar. And if it really helps, if there is a, a theory that, you know, refined sugar feeds tumors, well, I'd rather you know, be alive and not be eating refined sugar than eating the refined sugar. So I made it a real commitment to doing that. Um, and then I, I did things like, uh, you know, all the great stuff that Kelly Turner came up with too. you know, increasing my f- fruits and veggies and decreasing carbs that turn into glucose and reducing dairy. Um, so I did, I actually did a lot of the Thanks to this nurse that I met, who helped, you know, help me with this, um, and she also helped me with supplementation too. So she she was kind of like I hit the jackpot in yeah, finding a nurse that knew about supplements, an oncological nurse. Wow. wow! And that's another thing that's happened in my life too is that the right people just seem to appear out of nowhere at the right time. So the universe has been taking care of me too.
3: Yeah, definitely sounds like it. Mhm. Great. Well, I would like to ask um you know, sometimes we when we're we're working with coach, uh, coaching clients and we we kind of deep dive in with them and we talk about you know, the different modalities of healing. Sometimes we go backwards and we we look at, you know, what do you in your what does your intuition say about if there were any contributing factors in your lifestyle or in your past that may have contributed to the diagnosis. And I don't know if you've ever given that any thought, if you have anything that you would share on that.
2: Okay. Um, Well, I didn't mention this before, but there's a lot of cancer in my history. Uh, My mother had breast cancer when she was in her thirties. And I got cancer when I was in my thirties. And she had it when I was a preteen. And I always always kind of expected it. This is where we have to be careful with Mm. our expectations. Mm -hmm. I kind of expected that I was going to have breast cancer to the point where when I finished breastfeeding my son, I decided I needed to have a mammogram. Wow. And and it, it showed, well, it showed a breast cancer that we never would have found without me getting the mammogram. And it was what it was called a very rare one called mucinous, mucinic, mucinous, mucinous, like mucus. Mm-hmm. It's it's not palpable, so they wouldn't have found it.
3: Right, wow. that's it, intuition yelling that, at you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, and that was the first cancer, and I was in my thirties when that one happened. Wow. So you know, using our intuition um there's just nothing like it and then i intuitively knew when i got the um the metastatic breast cancer seven years later i needed to do a whole lot more than conventional medicine my intuition just like was screening you got to do a whole lot more yeah i can relate to that one definitely so i think the only thing you
1: haven't talked about is spirituality um what what's a spiritual connection
2: practice for you what how does that play a part in your healing um well Uh, I would say that I am a very, I'm kind of like a chip off the old block from my dad. He was a very spiritual person and he exposed me and my sister to every religion you can possibly think of. And that, you know, kind of like a universal kind of thing that we're all, we're all one. So I've always had that belief that, um, you know, we're, we're all one and, and appreciate different aspects of all religions, there is a difference between being religious and being spiritual. I would say I'm leaning more towards spirituality um, and the different practices that I've become like a daily meditator. Um, that's something that I took up a long time. So when I was a teenager, I learned transcendental meditation and got my my first mantra I got when I was a teenager and when I was working at a summer camp, a sleepaway camp, um, I used to meditate every day and make the whole bunk be quiet so I could meditate. <laughs> wow, that's
3: incredible. You Such were a young age. <laughs> yes, I,
2: I don't know how I did that. At age like 17, 18 years old, they would make a whole bunk of little girls be quiet for 20 minutes so I could meditate. So. <laughs> wow. Yay you. That's yeah. a beautiful practice. So that... So the, yeah, so that stuff... You know it's been with me for a long time. and I really and I have a new appreciation for it in more recent years, especially with the cancer, how important it is to quiet our minds and do kind of like a reset from all the monkey brain stuff that goes on on a daily basis. And that I'm sure is probably something that helps me to just calm myself in in a crazy world.
3: Great. Yeah, it's really nice to have uh, that in the toolbox, right? And just especially for you to have had it at such a young stage of your life and to be able to have that to hold on to throughout this whole process is just such a gift. Yeah, it is. It really is. So we like to ask our guests if they have any advice for someone who is new to a healing journey that, you know, something you'd like to share with someone that might be listening today. Okay.
2: Well, what I would like to share is you are so lucky because the book, Radical Remission, and the book, Radical Hope, is here. (laughs) I would have given anything if it had been there as a roadmap way back in 99. I had to do it on my own, um, which isn't the worst thing in the world. And it was just so validating when the, you know, Radical Remission first came into publication. Um, You know, I think. Kelly Turner up and down and all around, um, because that book is truly a roadmap. And the the advice I would give is, if you decide to read it, and of course, Radical Hope too, that we are all individuals and we're all on our own unique life journey. Um, So really, I'm a big believer too that the different 10 healing factors, we all go at them in our own way, in our own time, when we're ready for whatever it is, we're ready for, and that part is like a, a fingerprint. You know, it's we're each unique. There's nobody else in the whole world like like us or a snowflake. There's nobody else. If you live in the Northeast like me, there's every snowflake is its unique snowflake. We, we see that. But um, so yeah, and so it, it's okay to just go at your own pace in your own way. But it's so reassuring to
3: have that roadmap. Mm. Very well said, and I think uh, you know for our audience who is listening that may not actually be living with a diagnosis in this moment, these factors are really for everyone. We like to encourage health seekers to take a look at that table of contents in the book and see the outline of the factors, and if it resonates with you to like really just dig into these these lifestyle changes and see, you know, they've they've. They can be applied in so many ways and and really can touch every single person, every snowflake out there.
2: Every yes, we're all (laughs) these little snowflakes. (laughs) Isn't it amazing though when you think about it Mm -hmm. that out of the bazillions, there's no two that are alike. Yep. 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 Love it. Well, Deborah, thank you so much.
1: So we know that you're a radical remission teacher of workshops and a coach,
2: but where can people connect with you? Okay. So the best way to connect is I'm on the radical remission coaching list on the Mm -hmm. site, and it's got my contact information on there. Fantastic. And we will, we'll put that in the show notes
1: so people can find that. So thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today and for sharing your healing story with everyone. You're such an inspiration. I imagine lots of people are going to find even more hope now that they've listened.
2: And I want to thank you for making this so much fun.
3: Well, we're always happy to have our friends here and, and our guests and share these really, really great stories and let everybody kind of soak it in and, and really let it resonate with them. So thanks so much for being here and
0: sharing yet another beautiful story today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. Once again, I'm Kelly A. Turner, PhD, cancer researcher and founder of the Radical Remission Project. If you found today's episode inspiring, we encourage you to share it with anyone you think would benefit. If you'd like more information about the Radical Remission Project, or would like some support bringing the 10 Radical Remission Healing Factors into your own life, visit us at RadicalRemission.com to find a certified Radical Remission Health Coach or to learn about an upcoming Radical Remission Workshop. And if you'd like to connect with Liz or Carla directly for health coaching, you can visit radicalremission.com forward slash about us. Most importantly, be sure to like, share, and please, please, please review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews are what allow us to keep finding sponsors and sponsors are what allow us to keep bringing you these podcasts. So thank you in advance for your reviews. One last thing. Would you like to be on our podcast? If you're a radical remission survivor who's been in remission for at least three years, meaning that you either have stable or dormant disease, or perhaps even no evidence of disease, you can contact us at radicalremission.com forward slash podcast. The Stories That Heal podcast is a production of the Radical Remission Project and Cat Productions, hosted by Liz Curran and Carla Mansgeroux. Produced by Ryan Giroux. Music by Batchbug. Follow the stories that heal wherever you get your podcasts.